The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I am Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Before I start today, I want to acknowledge the loss to all of us of Stephen Levine, a poet, healer, educator, and spiritual guide, who with his wife Andreas had a profound impact on the community of people exploring deeply how to face life's greatest challenges, including death and grief. Stephen died last Saturday, January 16th, 2016, and Andrea posted this on their Facebook page. Dear friends, Stephen passed away at home in his bed this afternoon after a long illness. He was 78 years old. His heart has gone to God. His light is left here with us. Thank you for your blessings and love and friendship. Namaste. I met Stephen and Andrea when my first wife took me along with her to one of their workshops on death and dying. She'd been with them already, and she found their tools and way of delivering those tools invaluable to her, her own coming to terms with a very short prognosis. And they they really became intrinsic to how we lived through those surprisingly long years, uh, instead of six months, almost nine years. Um, their their generous care, their support of us as a couple, as a family, as individuals, and their willingness to supply whatever we needed, including helping us financially to be able to attend their workshops as often as we wanted, made for the difference between heaven and hell. Because as Stephen reminded us all the time, frequently, that difference is love. Stephen's work and gentle soul are so intrinsic to all the work I do and even more how I love the important people in my life. So it's hard, really hard to imagine this world without a minute. And then, of course, there are all the ways he's still in the world. However, one of my final times with Stephen has been on my mind in the days since he died. I came to a workshop alone because Joanne had died not too long before. I brought a picture of her. I took at her wake, laid out in beauty and splendor, wrapped in a piece of cloth we'd bought for the, the occasion, covered in flowers and gifts from our friends, family, and community. I was really, really eager to show him the picture, to give him a visual on the profound and beautiful death she had, which, of course, he was so much a part of creating. He spent some time looking at the photo, his eyes got wet around the edges, and his face looked really thoughtful. Then he looked up into my eyes and said forcefully, I liked her better alive. That, my friends, is just how I'm feeling about him this week. 
I want to send my love to Andrea, now continuing without her beloved in this world, and say to her what she said to me and to all of us who sat with them countless times, treasure yourself. So today I'm talking with Michael Fratkin. Michael's a father, husband, brother, son, and physician. He's dedicated to the well-being of his community. Since completing his training, he's made his home and built his family in rural Northern California. He served his community in primary care in a community clinic system as a medical director of the local hospice, as a later in the community hospital medical staff, and a transformative voice for improving the experience of people facing the end of life. At a time of great demographic and cultural change in our society, Dr. Fratkin has created Resolution Care, to, which we'll be talking much more about, to ensure capable and soulful care of everyone everywhere as they approach the completion of life. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's a great pleasure to be here today. And, of course, great pleasure to me. I first became aware of your work when I saw a a PBS special about you, a a story, I guess it was on the PBS News, about telemedicine and the use of video conferencing in medical care. And I was was sort of thinking, well, why didn't anyone think of that before? You know, that's brilliant. That's, you know, those epiphanies that just once someone has thought of it seem so intuitive. Um, but I was also thinking as I was watching, too bad it's for rural areas, because I was imagining all the ways it could have helped my wife and I, um, in ter- especially in terms of um, the fact that once she couldn't get to an office, uh, we lost her whole care team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that from one day to the next, that was the end, you know, no continuity of care at all there. And I was thinking, uh, just to even be able to say goodbye um, visually would have mm-hmm. made such a difference. Yeah, I, well, I think, <clears throat> I think I've got good news uh, for your listeners. Um, you know, there really isn't any difference between an urban and a rural setting when you think in terms of connecting to people uh, through uh, uh, video conferencing technology. Um, I call it video conferencing technology, even though that's kind of off-putting to me when I say it, Mm -hmm. Um, because how I experience um, those connections um, are that they're sort of through a magic window. So I'm connecting with people where they live, through a magic window, and in that frame, it doesn't matter whether you're sitting on the back deck of a house in the desert of Southern California, or on the top of a hill in Northern California, or in the middle of the Marina District in San Francisco. It actually doesn't matter where you are. It just matters that you're present. Um, So it's not particularly a rural intervention, although it obviously solves significant access problems for people who have serious illness and live in rural places. It's not necessarily uh, a rural intervention. It's essentially the future of person-centered care. Mm. You know, I'm thinking of, I happen to have Kaiser, and I I have been in 
in Kaiser for a long time. And at some point, they uh, developed a system where you could email your provider. And and they'd return the, the email within 24 hours, 48, something like that. And many things I might have gone into the office for, I didn't need to anymore. So I could have... Yeah, revolutionary, and and actually made it feel to me, even though, of course, there's a lot that email doesn't do, but it made me feel as if I was uh, more attended to. Um, sure. That, that if I wanted to see my particular doctor or wanted to ask a question, I wasn't going to need to wait until they had an opening, or um, and many things could be taken care of, and of course, that's indispensable to the people with cancer I work with whose energy is limited and they can just say this medication isn't working do you have something else and just get a new prescription without going through a lot of trial when you think about palliative care and cancer care um, there's a a sentinel study that came out of uh, Boston uh, some number of years ago and what they did was they took people with incurable, um, advanced or stage four lung cancer. And they divided the group into two groups. Both groups got standard palliative chemotherapy or chemotherapy designed to improve quality of life as well as to extend life by pushing back against the cancer. Both groups got the same cancer care, but one group got a very modest palliative care intervention, what they got was a telephone call from a nurse who understood a few things about being a cancer patient, understood a few things about uh, the management of symptoms. Um, And once a month, they called these folks. So one group got that, and the other got the standard, less supported model. Mm. And at the end of the study, what was found was that the people who got a little extra support from palliative care lived three to four months longer. That's connecting. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. And it connects with something. um, I I was just teaching a course uh, on Saturday where we were talking about, uh, you know, when people are kind of anxious about their attachment with a doctor, there's been studies about that too in the mental health realm of this whole thing. And they tend to need more care. Um, They tend to have more problems, um, all of that. So I can imagine just the reassurance that you are going to be reached out to uh, on a regular basis could make a huge impact on on that aspect of care as well. Just the... uh, settling emotionally into being cared for. What we're doing in engaging and connecting with people as people um, is making an enormous difference for their well-being, their tolerance of valuable therapies, and their empowerment uh, in making choices as they unfold along the course of uh, critical illness. And so we're not just calling them once a month, but we're using video conferencing to engage with nursing, social work, chaplaincy, the physician, and we're visiting them one of two ways. 
where going to their home and sitting on their couch and eating their cookies and looking at the pictures that help contextualize people as people, um, or we're engaging virtually to their home and providing house calls via the magic window of video conferencing technology. We're responsive when things are changing and shifting. We're anticipatory to engage the more robust services of hospice at exactly the right time, not at the last minute and not in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, these people uh, deeply appreciate the work that we're doing, and I have to say it's an unbelievable privilege uh, to be functioning in this way. And now through the smoke and mirrors I've created with Resolution Care, I've actually got a team to do it with me, so it's not just about me. You know, there's there's this sense in, in listening to you of kind of um, what are the ingredients of the secret sauce? Um, you know, there's the technology simple, aspect. <laughs> you know, technology is a human engagement that extends back for tens of thousands of years. Human beings have always looked around in their environment, looked for tools of value to do the things that make them human, to care for their children, to care for their families, and to care for people who are sick. They've always looked in their environment and then modified their environment to get more bang out of their technological buck. But what's true and has always been true is that this kind of work has always been fundamentally human beings caring for human beings and doing what makes sense. Now, that sounds a little simplistic, but that is the mantra every single day around here. That has been the mantra of healing systems within families and communities for tens of thousands of years. We just happen to be doing it in 2016 with a lot of gizmos that have matured to allow for some pretty extraordinary um, capacities. Um, But it's not about the technology. It's not about telemedicine. It's not about computers or connectivity. Um, It's about people taking care of people and doing what makes sense. And so that sense, obviously, um, extending that into the realm of, um, you know, secure video platforms and all that technological part of this um, really makes a difference in terms of your capacity to show up more than you'd be able to, uh, even in an urban environment, it, um, it's hard, it would be very hard for uh, people to show up at the same level you do, uh, you know, healthcare professionals. Um, it's limited how much hospice people can come to your house. But well, it's, you know, it's incredibly difficult. And on the other side of things, long before hospice, which is where we function, is upstream or before hospice, the very sickest of us have the experience of sometimes 150 or more visits to take their tired and ill physical selves into the shower, out of the shower, into their clothes, into their wheelchair, down to the car, into the back seat. The wheelchair goes into the back. They get in their car. They drive miles and miles. They have to deal with parking problems if they're in an urban setting. They have to deal with this more mileage if they're in a rural setting. 
And then they get out. They throw the wheelchair on the ground. Their family has to help them out. Put them into a waiting room where there's 10-year-old people magazines that you wouldn't have wanted to read 10 years ago. They sit down. They get the clipboard thrust in front of them. They deal with snotty front desk staff. And they are immersed in one of the most stressed-out environments I can imagine. Mm. Uh, Overly busy, overly productivity-driven healthcare delivery systems that are satisfying every other stakeholder except for the experience of the person in question. Then they go into the room and they get on their little paper gown and they sit on the edge of their silly little table and in comes a physician who's basically providing care to them looking over their right shoulder while they're tapping away at an electronic medical record. Um, They're rushed, they're late, they're stressed out, their pager and their cell phone is going off in their pocket, and they're just, it's really hard for them to be there. Mm. And then they're done, they can't explain everything that they've just recommended, they give a list, they tell them to go to the lab and everything else. People go through this upwards of 150 times in the last 6 to 12 months of their lives for doctor's appointments, lab appointments, x-rays and radiologic studies, consultants, physical therapists, episodic care in the emergency department, hospitalizations for complications of treatment. And what they don't get is somebody actually being present to understand their experience. What we do is we do our work in their homes where they don't, where they're not patients, but they're people. I don't like taking care of patients anymore. Mm. I like taking care of people. Mm. And I like, and people live in their homes, not in clinics. In the last year since we've launched this program, we figure we have saved the very sickest among us, um, 15 to 17,000 miles of driving and untold hours in transit and unnecessary stress about making yourself look good you know, getting yourself together. Absolutely. My, my folks just sit on the couch, click on a link in an email, and in the magic window appears the person that's come to them to offer them an ear and their understanding of the way forward uh, and care. And it is remarkable. When I first started, Cheryl, I'll tell you. Let's let's come back to that because it's oh. time for a break. I, oh, I just okay. you you uh, you set off so many so many <laughs> memories from years of being a caregiver, and including my my deep uh, belief that my mom died because of traffic. She died when she did. She gave up treatment because of traffic. <laughs> well, I'm not making <laughs> for I'm not sure. making this stuff up, Cheryl. You know that. So do your <laughs> listeners. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> we'll be right back to continue that because it's just so important. I want to give it more time. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media, of course, at the Good Grief page at Voice America to find my Facebook, Twitter, my website, all of it. And you can sign up for my email list. Please do so that you can find out what's coming up. To find Dr. Michael Fratkin, go to resolutioncare.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Dr. Michael Fratkin about his innovative way of delivering palliative and hospice care uh, through his organization, resolutioncare.com. And just before the break, Michael, I think really we're basically talking about the human-to-human connection that you feel is really vital to, to delivering this care, that the, that the video conferencing, the um, telemedicine, as it were, is a just a tool to make that more available, more possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings me to um, another area of my curiosity. Uh, I, I first of all, I want to talk about how this came to be formed in your mind, uh, <laughs> how that came, how that came about. Because once I heard it, I was like, oh. How amazing, how wonderful, all that. But it certainly is not um, anything yeah. people are, are um, you know, regularly doing. Uh, yeah, it, no, I, you know, I'll tell you that story because you know, I think it's pretty important. It's pretty important to where we are today and pretty important to where we're going uh, in the future. Um, as most change... Uh, this change emerged from pain, um, and that pain was uh, my most recent experience with burnout inside of a broken healthcare system. Um, and so, for me, I've been trying to work with our local uh, healthcare organization to see the way forward to resource and extend 
the palliative care program we had uh, to better serve the needs of the community. The experience for me over the last eight years has been I can get to maybe one in four or one in five requests uh, to care for people. At the same time, the population is aging. At the same time, people are beginning to understand that uh, palliative care isn't uh, a mortician with a stethoscope, mm. um, but that palliative care has real value for people going through it and the people that love them. And so the demand was rising and our ability to respond to it was constrained um, by the current and traditional economics of a fee-for-service healthcare system. And so I was working too much and working too hard and working without team for too long. And I couldn't squeeze out the resources I needed. And so I thought that I just needed to go somewhere else to find a better resource job, a better balanced job, because the things that are most important to me are the same things that are most important to you. Uh, it's the people I love. My beautiful mm. wife, Julie, my daughter, Bella, who's 10 years old, my son, Max. Um, and I was working too much and feeling burned out, um, uh, taking two steps forward uh, for every three steps back. And so that was my spring of last year, uh, or 2014, I should say. Um, and I put it out to look for jobs, and I discovered that palliative care doctors like me, um, there are 12 to 15 jobs available for every one of us. And so within a couple of weeks, I had three job offers. I looked at two of them seriously. One I kept on the hook, and I actually thought about leaving. But then I drove back from that interview down the road and got back to my beautiful home in gorgeous Humboldt County, land of the redwoods and the ocean and six rivers. And it's also the land where over the last eight years I've cared for probably 1,500 human beings in the last part of their life. Mm. It's a community in which I walk into the grocery store, uh, coffee shops, um, beer joints, and people come up to me and tell me how much they appreciate the work that I did for someone they love. And that feels great to me. Mm -hmm. That helps me feel as if my walk on this planet has had uh, some favorable impact. And so as I thought about taking a job in some other town where such a soulful uh, engagement with community was not available, I didn't want to do it. So at the same time, a friend of mine who works at Google invited me to set up something called a Google Helpout. Well, Google has a short attention span. They had this great program, which was the integration of video conferencing, scheduling, a billing system, and messaging system to allow experts to engage with the public via video conferencing. So you could learn Chinese cookery or get help with your uh, tax form or learn how to write a business proposal. Um, or um, once I put up a page, you could uh, talk to me about the issues you were facing. Um, and so I started to do some video conferencing, and lo and behold, I discovered it actually worked. At the very same time, in the New York Times uh, earlier last year, 
Um, there was a piece on uh, an organization called uh, Project Echo at the University of New Mexico, a way of using technology to advance scarce specialty expertise. And I looked into that and realized where there was uh, opportunity to do more in palliative care by building a team and then sharing our expertise um, mm-hmm. to primary care provision, physicians and practitioners, uh, uh, nephrology, cancer care programs, and the like. So that was the second piece uh, that looked like an opportunity to figure out a way to clone myself. And then, you know, the, oh, go yeah, ahead. I'll just keep on rolling. <laughs> and then I mean, the third what thing you've just said, just let yeah. me insert, is, uh, of course, what this whole show is about, that these moments of agony right. do have the potential sometimes to lead to something so new and fresh and, um, you know, yeah, life-changing. connect these three dots. The, the one was the idea that video conferencing could work. The other was, uh, was this idea that you could actually teach and multiply your impact. And then the third was... Um, uh, a friend of mine uh, asked me to support him in an Indiegogo campaign, a crowdfunding campaign, and I put those three dots together one morning when I went to wake up my daughter. Um, I like to be the first thing she sees when her eyelids open. And I went down to bed, I snuck down there, and she opened her eyes, and she looked at me and she said, Goodbye, Daddy. Hmm. And it was at that moment I decided I'm not a goodbye daddy, daddy. Hmm. I'm not going to take this family on the road and start over in yet another frustrating structure. I'm going to build, I'm going to connect, connect those dots and build something that's actually sustaining, sustainable and meaningful for myself and for the best and most inspired and probably most burnt out uh, care providers that I can scare up and so that's I, what I did I, I just feel what you're saying is so deeply important I, I um, obviously encounter a lot of medical professionals in my line of work and I actually have a, a client I'm thinking of in medical school and the disconnect between um Caring for others who are ill and not taking care of oneself has, it just uh, is in my face very often, you know, yeah. and um, it seems so counterintuitive that, that somehow we could be, you know, there's that old saying, healer, heal, I, heal thyself, you know, um, that we yeah, could a, be it's, offering it's care nice to people quilt. and not having any... <laughs> any room to care for ourselves and well, and it this, sounds this that if, if in this work we can't create a sustainable structure based not on productivity and doing more to people to drive the economics of sustainability but actually build a structure that's based on individuals capacity that if we can't do that, then it's not a healthcare system at all. It's merely a medical industrial complex exploiting illness and disease 
to make profit. Um, the way that I think about things is that there are three things that we're trying to accomplish for our broken healthcare system and for ourselves. One is we're trying to improve the quality of the experience of being alive for people with the most serious challenge that a human can face, the completion of their life. We want, we believe that that's very, very important and an enormously unmet need. The second thing is we want to use our experience in this crazy healthcare system to help people navigate so that their satisfaction with the care that they receive is greater because people are frustrated and tormented and troubled by the fragmentation of poorly coordinated care. Um, The third thing is we think we waste a ton of money inflicting suffering on people and that we believe that when you empower people to understand the choices that are in front of them, the pluses and minuses, limits and trade-offs related to the real value that exists within the healthcare system, and you help them achieve that, not only do they live better, not only are they happier, not only do they sometimes live longer, but they actually spend less money. And that's good for our society. Mm. And then the fourth thing that's critically important, and it's the foundational core value of this organization, is that those poor people over there in the bed that are crying and struggling and grappling and in physical pain are actually no more important than me and the members of our team providing care to them. We can't lose sight of the fact that we are simply people caring for people and doing what makes sense. That is called by a woman by the name of Bernadette Keith, um, uh, a prominent leader, thought leader in healthcare leadership. That's called the quadruple aim. And the crisis that people face as they deal with medical illness and the approach of their death is no less more important than the crisis that our best and brightest and most caring and inspired healthcare providers experience struggling and suffocating under systems that serve stakeholders other than them and the people they wish to care for. These caregivers are the same people who've been caring for their neighbors and their family members and their communities for tens of thousands of years. And right now, we're crushing them and suffocating them with poorly implemented technologies, obsession with risk, obsession with safety, (laughs) obsession with documentation and risk management, and all of that kind of crazy anxiety-driven madness that gives us the healthcare system that we have. So what we're doing is we're saying that we are in business to provide an experience to people that's better when they're dealing with the end of their life and an experience of caregiving such that it's sustainable. You know, you're, you're bringing up a lot of 
a, a lot of memories for me about our uh, my wife and my relationships to healthcare providers, and she received excellent care. Um, I would almost call it more artistic than scientific, more intuitive than scientific, <laughs> especially because her diagnosis at the time, there wasn't much known about how to keep people alive with it, which is why she had such a short prognosis. But I'm remembering what, what has stuck with me. I don't remember any of those details. I mean, I roughly do. I remember being in the hospital with her surgeries and stuff. But what I really do remember is the moments of humanity with various caregivers. Those stick yeah. like glue. Yep. Uh, even for me, outliving her. Um, and I'm thinking of one particular, her oncologist, who right at the end of, of her doing chemotherapy, right before she went into hospice completely, um, left the profession because he just couldn't strike that balance. And he was the biggest heart and very intelligent in the way he offered that care and very intuitive, you know, just a a 100% wonderful doctor in every way. And he couldn't continue. And, And when that happened, I thought, what a loss to all the people who would have come after us that, that he just couldn't, um, find a way to do it that respected him as a human being. It's a desperate, desperate problem with not only wasted resources, um, harmful and unnecessary treatment given in, in, uh, instead of deep conversations and connection, and then the pain and suffering of those of us that came into this world and into our adulthood and professional choice-making inspired to serve people in distress. There is an untapped treasure trove of the most brilliant and burned-out people in healthcare, and I am working hard to build an irresistible magnet to invite them back uh, into the fold Mm. to do the work that they're inspired to do. That's a great place for our second break. Let's let's talk more about what you're creating to to magnetize them in and and your dreams for that when we get back. Uh, It just it just feels so um, vital what you're what you're saying for every reason you mentioned. So listeners on our break, just feel free to go find both of us. My website is weatheringgrief.com, but it is linked from the station page, Good Grief at Voice America. And to find Dr. Michael Fratkin and his team, go to resolutioncare.com. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You want to have the highest quality of life possible, and you want to live as healthy a life as possible, so you can do everything you want to do. But there are all kinds of myths with regard to what's right, what's healthy, and what is best. Debunk that misinformation by tuning into Shattering the Status Quo with Dr. Michael Quast. You should be able to make your own choices with your health and your life. And you should be well informed to make those choices. Tune in every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been here talking with Dr. Michael Fratkin, who developed Resolution Care. They, they offer palliative and, and hospice care from a team approach apl- employing uh, telemedicine or technology to increase access for, at the moment, rural patients. But we've been talking about the implications that has uh, for for all patients, hopefully, eventually, in terms of being able to access their care providers more um, more regularly, and also in terms of uh, maintaining the resource of healthcare providers who are getting so burned out trying to meet the needs, which just seems so vitally important to me. You know, I I fantasize, Michael, just based on what we've already talked about how broadly these kinds of um, these kinds of ideas could be applied and how much of a change they might bring uh, into healthcare. Do you have dreams for that? If, if this kind of way of looking at healthcare were more integrated, how do you imagine that being in the world? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there, there is value in staying focused. Um, and the focus that I have is on this very specific area of caregiving. Now, in a perfect world, there really is no such thing as palliative care. That The practitioners that dedicate themselves to your care would see you in this way and would have the basic skills required to help you uh, talk your way through tough decision-making and make those empowered choices to use the fundamentals of symptom control to manage those needs to help you plan for the future and communicate with the people you love and um, make that life, that part of your life, as rich as possible. Um, But that's not the case in our current system, and so there is this thing called palliative care, and that's where I live, work, and focus. Now, I do believe that if we successfully get it right at the end of our life across the country systematically um, by 
putting a stake in the ground for person-centered, personalized care, not disease-directed care, that we can then re, uh, reverse engineer our entire healthcare system to do the same thing. But my focus is on this phase of life, and there's plenty of work to do. Um, the palliative care, just to define it, because we haven't really, is sort of is thought of as an extra layer of support to the care that people are already receiving. It's interdisciplinary, team-based, um, and um, as an added layer to the cancer care you're receiving or the nephrology care or the cardiac care or all the rest of the other specialties and structures within our healthcare system. Um, over the past 15 years, we've had a huge increase in the amount of available capacity for palliative care, um, but still only about 75% of hospitals have a palliative care program and uh, a, a very small number of communities have a program of community-based or home-centered palliative care. For example, in the state of California, two-thirds of California have no access to palliative care services at all. Mm. The majority of that takes place in the hospital. So perhaps it's safer to say that 90% or more of Californians have no access to the kind of care that we're doing, home-centered, person-centered care uh, in addition to the cancer care they're going through and everything else. 22 out of the 50, I think it's 58 California counties have no palliative care whatsoever. Hence my emerging traction as a rural intervention because those are the big, less populous, um, but the people who live in them are no less deserving of thoughtful, wise guidance and good symptom control. So the problem is so enormous. In a state of 37 or 8 million people, the number of people that currently are eligible and could benefit from receiving uh, palliative care services is in the, I'm going to guess, is in uh, well over 100,000 people who need it can't get it. And the capacity issues in my field are profound. Every program is working like our program has been, which is at the red line, at capacity. The workforce shortages in our field are reflected in the fact that there's 12 to 15 jobs for every palliative care specialist. A number I've heard is that one in 43,000 California, for every 43,000 Californians, there's one specialty trained palliative care professional. That's a huge mismatch. That's staggering. It's staggering. That's a very staggering number to me. So what we've got is this huge unmet need, and we've got this huge disenfranchised and inspired uh, workforce, and this, we haven't built the systems to connect the people in need to the people that have something of value to them. And that's what we're working on on our blackboards with our sleeves rolled up and uh, uh, fueled by coffee and inspiration and dreams. So we're trying to solve that problem, is how do we connect the amazing talent, the treasured value of inspired and skilled 
healthcare professionals to this enormous group of people who have unmet needs. And we consider that to be a crisis. We consider that to be kind of uh, an emergency because what it means when you don't have access to palliative care means that you suffer and that you die at the hands of medical technology or in the absence of thoughtful guidance to access the appropriate technology that could help you. People die sooner. People die worse. People die in the ICU. People have, you know, less than a week of hospice support and nothing before that while they and their families are desperate to try and navigate the fragmented healthcare system. We've got some ideas, and as time goes by, I'll be able to tell you a little bit more about what that looks like. I'm really aware as we're as I'm listening to you of the finances. Of course, I'm I'm up against them because I do support groups. I I hear about the issues people are confronting all the time, and then add the the private clients and etc. So, for instance, if people cannot get in-home care that's adequate to their situation, they end up in the hospital, much more expensive care, but there's really no no uh, adequate, uh, they can't bill for that care they need at home, so they really have no other option, for instance. Yeah, uh, the just, economic, you're, you're right on, on track at the personal level in terms of the cost of being a person with a serious illness. On the other side of the equation, in terms of providing the services, um, you're right on track. The economics are wrong. We've incentivized doing more to people rather than for them. We've incentivized more procedures, more costly use of Mm -hmm. high-tech, high-intensity interventions, and we've made it almost impossible for a, a thoughtful uh, an experienced practitioner to sit down and talk to a person for mm-hmm. 45 minutes. Um, the fee-for-service structure will never uh, resolve these problems, but the future is actually built on economic incentives that are about delivering value. In other words, if you get paid to deliver on the outcomes that people with illness, their providers their families, and the health plans that pay for health care. If you deliver on those quality satisfaction, you experience lower costs. And so we are in part of a pilot that does just that. For 25% of our patients, we get a per member per month amount that supports us to contact the patient in any way we need to, by being there on the, on the uh, ground with them, by video conferencing, by telephone, um, by whatever means and at whatever frequency is required to deliver on those outcomes. Mm-hmm. That's 25% of our patients. For the other 75% of our people, we're seeing about 120 people now. We don't get paid for video conferencing. We don't get paid for nursing visits. We don't get paid for telephone calls. We don't get paid for social work, chaplaincy, community health workers. We don't get paid for any of that. Mm. But in the future, the future that we are deeply invested in and the health plans are invested in, instead of fighting with insurance companies, all of a sudden um, 
we're partners. We're aligned. They also want better quality of life for their patients, for their members. They also want better satisfaction for their members, and they definitely need and want lower costs and higher value. We're building a system that will put us in partnership with these groups uh, of folks that hold the purse strings, and we'll make a deal with them. We'll say, listen, for this much money per month, we'll get involved on a person's on, the, on their own terms to deliver value in these these areas. If you pay us what it takes to do that, we'll save you money. And the data suggests that comprehensive palliative care can reduce costs by 50 to 75% for people while improving the quality of their life, while improving their satisfaction, and while providing a fulfilling and sustainable job for palliative care professionals. So that's our business model going forward is there's a huge demand, a limited um, provider and workforce, um, and uh, a newfound insight that for people like this, it makes sense to invest extra support so that you can deliver on these agreed-upon goals. That's called value-based payment. There's also a quality in what you're saying that, for me, is a a contrast I'm aware of a lot in many different areas. Is it yes and or yes but? You have a very yes and (laughs) um, approach to this. How can what we do together uh, address all the needs in the various uh, players in healthcare? Uh, and and be a collaboration instead of a of an over compromising of any particular aspect. It, you know, it, it has to be a yes and yes and yes, or the solution has no traction. It has to make sense at a core level of service at the physical spiritual, familial level. It has to make sense there to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. But then in order to build something in our modern world, it has to make economic sense. And the economics will follow the incentives. Human beings are simply monkeys, (laughs) and we've created currency to motivate and exchange value. Um, And so... If the money and the economics don't line up, it's a non-starter. It turns out that these technologies, of which resolution care is really the first to explore, have enormous efficiencies and opportunities for saving money, saving distress, saving time, and providing uh, meaningful benefit to the people we serve. And so this lines up as an intervention that delivers to all of the stakeholders, and it's rooted and grounded right where it ought to be in what makes sense in people, taking care of people. I can only hope for myself and for the people I love that when we're at that place 
we have the kind of care you're envisioning because uh, it's 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 a warm blanket even thinking about um, you know that availability. I really want to thank you so much for being with me today, Michael. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've really appreciated it. I feel exactly the same way, Cheryl, and thank you to you and to all the listeners. I hope that I can invite them all to swing by resolutioncare.com and to please sign up for the newsletter and please be a part of what we're doing. Um, It's not a coincidence that resolution rhymes with revolution. (laughs) No coincidence, and that's exactly what I was about to invite people to do, resolutioncare.com. Be sure and go there and, and get involved in this wonderful a development. Next week, I'll welcome Aida Salazar, a writer, artist, educator, and arts administrator, and a mother who's writing a memoir about the death of her firstborn child. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I'll look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.